0: Well, last week, Paul, I think we finished speaking to Tim and said, well, we'd no doubt speak to him in the not-too-distant future because something was short. Something will happen. (laughs) And uh, indeed it has in a fairly short period of time. Two fairly sensitive issues have arisen. One, how to compensate sportsmen who have been badly injured in their sport and can no longer play it. And probably a topic as old as uh, women's sport itself, pregnancy and how it's dealt with in women's sport. Morning, Tim, how are you?
1: Oh, good morning, guys. How are we? Oh,
0: very well, thanks. Uh, Do you want to start with the uh, Patrick uh, Bynes um, case and uh, what, in fact, it shows and where it's uh, headed?
1: Yeah, it's a sad story, isn't it, Andrew? Like, on many fronts, um, to have a young player have his career curtailed um, so early, you know, in in the stages of his um, playing career and then basically find out that when it comes to compensation for the injury, like the, the career-ending injury that he suffered, that um, <clears throat> his sport, you know, doesn't really support him. And, and I I don't think it's an um, unfamiliar story in lots of sports. It probably shines a light on, on the lack of um, adequate compensation and insurance in sport. And, you know, if you think about injuries and <clears throat> some of the areas that players and sports are having to, um, you know, address now with, like, head injury and so forth, I think it's... Time that sports, you know, step up to the plate and and ensure, you know, through their through their players' associations, they they obviously play a huge role that there's enough money there for players if um if their careers ended. So that's probably the real takeout of um you know the Paddy Byne's case. Do
2: you think initially the AFL were reluctant to uh, to agree to the settlement with their insurance company A&B, because they thought it could open the floodgates here? Do you think, Tim?
1: Ah, uh, Paul, definitely the floodgate effect you know, is undoubtedly like, you know, a major consideration and, and that was of course the scheme that the players, you know, were insured under, you know, the AMP one. But what what sort of resulted from that is that <clears throat> there's a couple of things that have that have become very obvious. I mean one, um, Patrick Bynes will go back, you know, through his um advisor, you know, Peter Jetson, will sit down with the AFL and is likely to be further compensated. So the game is going to ultimately um, going to have to come up with money to ensure that he is looked after <clears throat> so he 's got his insurance payout, which has been you know, considerable about a half million dollars but when you when you start to look at the costs that um, you know, he 's going to rack up its seen neurologists you know et etc et cetera, um, you know, it's, that money's going to run out pretty quickly so that's that 's the first thing that he 's going to there's going to be more money um, that's coming from the game <clears throat> um, and then you could look at the role of the, the players association I think um, I think it was either Jonathan Brown or Nick Nickrevol. Just said, you know, if, if you if you got your players' association there, and they've agreed to a scheme that ultimately could be as low as a hundred thousand dollars for a you know a, a total permanent disability um, career-ending injury, you know, what are they there for? And, and I think that's a really really good point. Um, you know, players' associations need to fight a little bit harder to ensure that the money's there. Uh, and, and they're talking about they're talking about like you know through the hardship scheme in the AFL increasing it from like. I think it's around $4 million to around $25 million. So it just goes to show how inadequately um, inadequately um, compensated players are when it comes to, you know, a career ending an injury.
0: Tim, you sort of uh, have your eyes across a lot of the sports. Are there any sports that you can think of off the te- top of your head, either in Australia or overseas, that, that get it right in terms of the insurance schemes and compensation schemes they have in place?
1: <coughs> Look, I do know, Andrew, that... Um, that uh, um, interest, for example, which is, was a great supporter of Rugby League in, in, um, until they were taken over by hosts. I mean, they had a, a specific insurance scheme, you know, to cater for Rugby League players. That's the type of thing that sports, you know, need to do. And they're, and they're talking about that within the AFL. They're talking about the fact that um, they're going to, you know, they're going to develop um, a better scheme so that players don't have to, for example go out and try and, you know, seek their own scheme. That, that's the mm-hmm. first thing. But, of course, the biggest thing is we don't want to see, you know, these types of um, situations going through the courts because that's of course, is what's happened in the past. <clears throat> you know, we've had um, players, you know, go through the courts and, you know, sue for negligence, um, you know, based on, you know, injury in sport. We all know there's going injury in sport. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, players play sport, um, you know, they we, we watch sport and we enjoy, you know, <clears throat> hard contact and so forth. That's the nature of sport, or a lot of sports anyway. But if there's not adequate compensation, that's what players will do. They'll head to the courts and, and, and nobody wants to see that, really.
2: Well, I think we're going to have another one in the AFL coming up very shortly. Daniel Venables was forced to retire last season just at the age of 22. Timmy, and it goes back to an incident that happened. I think it was 2019 or 2020, and it was a it was a bad collision that ended his career. And he's been having all sorts of concussion issues. But he said if West Coast had have treated it properly from day one, he'd be back playing in the AFL now.
1: Yeah, and, and that <clears throat> Paul, that's a common scenario. And actually, just you bringing up that that case just also reminds me of you know, something that happened on the weekend that um, obviously hasn't proceeded through to a, <coughs> to a legal situation. But, um, you know, Jack um, Yenovan, um was basically penalised on the weekend for ducking. And there's been a little bit of talk about how, um, you know, umpires or players that deliberately sort of duck in the tackles, you know, don't deserve to be rewarded with a, with a free kick. And that's something that if umpires in the game don't address, that if they don't, for example, you know, stand firm on, on sort of a ducking precedent, if you like, then... <coughs> Ultimately, players are going to suffer injury from that, and therefore, that's when legal action will, will flow. So, sports have got to be really vigilant, don't they? They have to be very, very, um, you know, vigilant as to things that, like, happen on the field or, you know, things that players, you know, sometimes create, you know, um, to ensure that the injury doesn't happen. And I think that's something that came out of the weekend's game that, uh, you know, the AFL is going to have to address. Don't reward players that duck.
2: Timmy, whenever we talk about concussion, okay, if we, if we look at the two rugby codes, you think some a player's been concussed. For me, and I think majority of the same, you automatically think, oh, it's because someone has got a tackle wrong they've gone high or they're left with the shoulder or something like that. But it appears as though it's about a 50-50 split. A lot of the time, it's the tackler getting his head in the wrong yep. position. Oh, he goes in with the dominant right shoulder but the player steps and it really should have been the left shoulder, so his head gets in the wrong way and he ends up heavily concussed from that. So what responsibility do, does the game have to take on the guy making the tackle?
1: Well, um, I think the rules of, the, of most sports in general are, are pretty good. And as we see things happen that lead to injury, you know, we change rules, like whether it's um, high tackles, whether it's you know, spear tackles. You know, sport is pretty good in that sense. When a player, you know, gets it wrong, and whether it's technique or you know, over enthusiasm, whatever it might be, that's ultimately a risk that you know the player, you know, wears. Like when you, when we play contact sports, players know that there's that inherent risk that comes with playing sport that they might get hurt. And if they get technique wrong and so forth, you know, they don't really have any sort of like you know fallback position. But it's a really different scenario, isn't it? Like you know, a sport does not have rules that you know protect players, and I, I think our sports are, you know, heading in the right directions. Like we've addressed a lot of dangerous activity on the sporting field through changing of rules. But as we see things that pop up, and you know, the one I was just referred to before, like ducking, and like what you're what you're saying, Paul, you know, we have to be sort of vigilant and keep you know addressing those things and eliminate eliminate them out of the game, or well, otherwise we're going to we're going to see legal action. And yeah, like I said before, we don't want to see that.
0: Well, speak for yourself there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> putting, putting uh, I'm always looking for new areas. Uh, putting that aside. Uh, uh, well,
1: I've been very difficult. Dip- you are, yes. You, really? <laughs> you got your fingers crossed behind uh, your back, you I can too. tell. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you, know, you know what I really think. Of course I, I do, yes. I really
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like I was saying to Paul last week, when you say with the greatest respect to someone, you're about to say you're an idiot. The uh, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Tim, the other issue is Romelda uh, Aiken, of course, been a mainstay of the of the Firebirds here in netball for the best part of 15 years. Wonderful player. Um, had this season off. Uh, she was uh, pregnant and uh, it now appears to be the case that uh, next year's roster is being put together by the Firebirds and, uh, uh, Romelda won't be part of it. Uh, Romelda seems to be <coughs> suggesting it might have something to do with the pregnancy. The Firebirds, I think, heading down the path of it's a difficult selection decision. We've got uh, Danelle Wallum and uh, Gretel Buter and Mia Stoa, so she just couldn't fit in. What are the issues with, with pregnancy in women's sport and netball?
1: Mary Andrew, um, we've got a bit of a disclaimer here with us. Well, with us all being blokes, you know mm. we got very, very sensitive when we talk about pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. One of, one of us will put our foot in it, won't we? Oh, well, that's um, that's
0: it for no, me on the got... topic. So you've got the rest <laughs> of the time.
1: <laughs> I, I find it, I find it amazing that, that at least what's been reported that the club, you know, considers her too risky. I mean, like, I mean, she's obviously not playing because she announced that she was pregnant, you know, um, pre-season, and then for the club to come out and say, well, we're not going to sign her. Because we consider her, you know, too risky. Well I, I just think I think they're in a little bit of um, a bit of trouble now. They go on to then say that, you know, we've got other players that have, you know, stepped up and performed well and we're going to be re signing them. Well, I mean really that's all the club needed to do. I mean, if, if they feel that um Romelda's time has passed, you know, they've got every right to not offer her a contract. But why would they why would they say that they won't be offering her a new fibers deal because they consider her too risky. I mean, that's clearly, you know, based on you know her pregnancy status. And, and okay, so the basis of that is that you know you cannot, um, you know, for example, ban a player from playing um, sport because of their positive pregnancy status. I mean, that is that is unlawful. Um, that is sex discrimination, and there's been you know plenty of cases around that. So I just think like yeah, the Firebirds, you know, they could be a little bit of trouble here, you know, with this one.
2: I think the situation was she announced she was pregnant, Romelda, mm-hmm. and she did intend to play on, but then she got ill, so she was unable to play on with her pregnancy. So I don't think there's been an official statement from the Firebirds saying why she hasn't got a new contract. I think the uh, the implication is from... That's what Romelda has said via social media. Uh, I won't be back, and it's not my doing because the club finds that I'm too risky but that could have something to do with her age or actually when she's scheduled to give birth in August. I don't know when pre-season or anything like that starts. So mm. the reasoning by saying too risky might be, well, we don't think you're going to be fit enough to be back in pre-season in September or November or something.
1: Yeah, well, look, that's a fair point, Paul. I mean, that's, that's um, too risky. What does that encompass? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think it's interesting that netball... Um, Probably haven't you know addressed this issue that well. When when in other sports you know they have in their contracts you know specific clauses in relation to pregnancy. And, and you guys might remember it wasn't that long ago. It's probably about five years ago. But the Women's Big Bash, mm. um, you know, they required in their in their contracts for players to notify um, the sport um, if they were pregnant. Now, James Sutherland at the time, I remember him coming out saying, look, that's not going to stop, you know, for example, us, um, you know, signing players and and players would still be able to sign a playing contract. But it was interesting that in that particular sport that if they were to be pregnant, they were required to notify the sport. So, you know, that's not um, something that's in the netball, you know, contracts. And yet, you know, obviously netball is a predominantly, you know, female sport. So, you know, it's... um, you know, there could still be a fair bit to play out of this um, if the evidence is there that they haven't signed her, you know, based on a pregnancy status, and that's why I say you know, the club could be in a little bit of trouble.
2: I've just got a question for you. It's on another tack from Icarus and Atherton here, Timmy. Uh, there was a court case many years involving Jared McCracken from the Bulldogs. Yep. did it involve legal action against another player?
1: Yeah, it, well, it did it was Marcus By and just trying to think who the other Melbourne Storm player was, but basically they they spear-tackled Jared McCracken and it ended his career and he sued um, both the Melbourne Storm and the two players. I just can't think of the second Melbourne Storm player, but um, they effectively sued... uh, Sorry, McCracken sued them for a career-ending injury, so it ended his career. Um, What was interesting was the, the concept of the duty of care was explored you know, um in that particular case. And it was Steve it was really Kearney, sick- by the way. Steve Kearney, yep, it was yeah, Steve, Yeah, yep, producer Steve James
2: Kearney. Clark has just found that for us.
1: Oh good. Okay, yeah. So um so in that in that particular case, you know, McCracken was successful and and the court held that, you know, the duty of care that um, players have to each other on the field, but also that a sport has towards their players with their rules, you know, was a really significant part of that particular case and it really did lead to um, ultimately how sport, you know, address things like, you know, a spear tackle. And that's what I was saying before, like, you know, as these things sort of happen, whether it's a spear tackle or a ducking or a, whatever it might be, you know, sport has to be flexible and change rules to ensure that, you know, players are safe and, and that duty of care is upheld. Now, this
2: is a bit of a murky one, and I've thought about this in the past, Tim, so I'll put it to you and you mightn't be able to answer it straight off. If a player on a on a football field commits uh, an act of foul play and isn't sent from the field and is allowed to stay on and then later in the game commits another foul act that causes serious injury to a player, can the game then be held accountable for the referee not enforcing rules that would have required a
1: send-off? Absolutely. So I was just talking about a duty of care. I mean, a referee has a duty of care to adjudicate the game um, in accordance with the rules. And if he was to um, adjudicate the rule, referee the game um, in a way that was deemed to be negligent and not protect the players on the field, then not only could he be sued, but potentially his employer, which would be the game, um, could also be held to be vicariously liable. That is a really good scenario, and that is absolutely a possibility.
2: So, Andrew, if you're referee, mm. don't be too lenient. Get the card out, the red card or the send-off. <laughs> it could come back and well, bite you.
1: Maybe the Rugby Union referees have taken that. No. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: well, no. Any Rugby Union li- referee listening, we were joking. Just don't don't do right. that. Don't do that.
1: That's right. You, you guys put those cards away. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, to me, it's always a pleasure. And there is always something to different to talk about as far as sports law is concerned. We appreciate your time again this morning. And no doubt we'll be talking next week. No, nothing sure. Yeah, right. No worries, boys. Have a good day.